0: Hello and welcome to the Leaders Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on yet another chilly day here in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill. And today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Jason Saunders, managing partner and co-founder of TS Grail, an executive search and consultancy firm based in Leeds. Jason, hello. Hello. Thank you for coming on the podcast today. We might as well dive straight in. What does the word leader mean to you? It's a very good question in itself. Leader to me uh, has
1: a number of resonant uh, responses for me. The first one is it's somebody who is there in support of a a set of individuals or a business. Leaders for me are people who... Uh, inspire the individuals around them and support their development and opportunity.
0: And how would you describe your personal leadership style?
1: Um, Collaborative, uh, supportive, Mm -hmm. and uh, one of uh, providing the direction but allowing freedom of the journey.
0: Okay. Uh, Will you elaborate on that a bit? Yes, I think...
1: One of the things that that leadership is there to do is is to set a vision. But the reality of that vision, you can think about leadership and the business as a journey. And everybody knows where they want to get to. But if you think about it, there are a number of routes to get there. And and there are lots of bumps in the road. And there are lots of changes in that journey. And in our business, there's, there's change and there's adaptation. And I think whilst we stay true to the vision and the journey itself, You've got to be adaptive to the world around us. And so that's what I mean by mm. understand the destination, but realize the fact that you may change direction along the way, but you're still aiming to get there.
0: Let's talk a bit about your journey. At the beginning of your career, was there a particular individual or circumstance that shaped the way that you lead today?
1: Yes, actually, um, my informative years before getting into search and recruitment were actually as part of, a, of British Railways privatization. And I, I was part of a very small uh, engine within an infrastructure business within the, the, the railway community. And that privatized and went through that adaptation period. And it was a small company. And I saw the strengths of that company, but also the weaknesses and the challenges it put on its staff. Mm-hmm. And, and ultimately, in competition with the world around. And what, what it did was it gave me a clarity that you, you don't know everything and actually you have to rely on the people around you to make up business. Don't don't think that you know everything. There are so many other good people you have to absorb ideas from. And that was really important to that business as a group.
0: And of course, uh, the death knell for any leadership is the failure to continue to evolve and learn. Uh, Within your business, do you have any mentorship or continuing education programs for your staff?
1: Um, We encourage outside mentorship and we've worked with a number of non-executives but it's not something we've put in in a formalized manner. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What, what we would like to do as we grow, I think is, is put a number of non-executive people around us who ultimately will help to develop particular skills. Right. I think at our point in evolution, it's hard to understand where we should be putting people in MBA programs and that for their education. Mm-hmm. So not formalized, but certainly something we encourage is that engagement externally from ourselves.
0: So when you take on a new uh, recruit, for lack of a better word, uh, what is the first piece of advice that you would offer them? When we take on a, an individual recruit, what's the first When um, you take When you take on a, a new member of staff, what is the uh, first piece of advice that you think that they should learn?
1: I think the, the first thing is un- self-awareness is so important for any individual, and it's just very important for a leader. But any individual we take on is, Try and come in with an open mind and understand your your strengths, but also understand the areas of development. I think that the journey is enhanced by knowing what you're good at, knowing what you need to work on, and understanding when you won't be able to evolve a skill to a level. Use others around you to support your own development and often make up for the areas of weakness.
0: So it's important not to have 100 Alan Partridges walking around. You need people who, <laughs> who understand that they have limitations, uh, which, of course, uh, um, is, is, is incredibly important. Please, carry on.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think we are human. And I think if you go back to, you know, I actually uh, resonated with the comment that Cheryl Sandberg, made, the CEO of Facebook, and she said, true leadership is about individuality. I think you need to be, incredibly aware of the things you're good at. But don't worry about the things you're not. You can't be perfect. And going back to that, great teams and great businesses are made up of diverse skills. And if you try and hone the same type of person or clone them, it just doesn't work. You all kind of think the same and that doesn't, that doesn't create collaboration, doesn't create idea generation. And actually conflict is healthy with growing a business. Mm-hmm. As long as you all know where you want to end
0: up. How do you handle conflict within the workplace?
1: Um, again, going back to the fact that we had a collaborative business discussion, I think everybody should understand that they, they can express an idea of individuality. I think as long as people understand that, but but do, do it in a professional manner, then we, get great, we give great support to that. At the same time, I think if conflict affects others unduly, then my job is also to pull it away from the workplace and discuss it out of the work.
0: Now, changing tack only slightly, if I was to press you to objectively identify the greatest leader, living or dead, who would that be? It's
1: hard not to to sound similar in this, but I Mm -hmm. have to make it about my personal viewpoint. I reflected on this before this interview. And actually, for me, it's, it's Richard Branson, okay. living. And, and I'll explain why. He has a very clear and simple philosophy, and it's not about his business success. It's about the values he instills. And, and he said, there's very much a hierarchy of my thought process and leadership, and that's put staff first, customer second, and shareholders third. Because if you get the staff part right, and you provide the right environment for them, and everything else succeeds.
0: And what is it about uh, uh, Sir Richard's uh, leadership style that specifically resonates with you?
1: Again, the fact that he is a... He doesn't conform. He challenges, he disrupts, and once he's passionate and believes in something, he will fight hard to make it work. There's always a common sense and commercial principle behind it, but the reality is he challenges the norm and actually sets standards that often don't exist and the industry goes into, knowing that if he does it well enough and stays true in the journey, then most of the time he succeeds and people follow him.
0: Hmm. Now, unfortunately, our time together is uh, very quickly drawing to its close, but what does the next 12 months have in store for TS Grail?
1: For us, growth and evolution, I think the key thing is we are trying to create an environment which encourages development and hierarchy. So the next 12 months should see us grow in staff numbers by around 40 to 50 percent. But hopefully what it also creates is a set of leaders within the business that can then train and develop others. So for us, twofold, growth in terms of the numbers of people, because that creates opportunity, but also growth in their capabilities because that nurtures others to be more successful.
0: Well, uh, Jason, I'd like to thank you very much for coming on board uh, the program today. Um, It's been an absolute pleasure discussing leadership with you, and I very much hope that you come back on the program in the near future. Uh, Jason, thank you. Thank you, Matthew. My pleasure. That was Jason Saunders, managing partner and co-founder of TS Grail. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Lord Blunkett.
2: Uh, we're joined uh, today by uh, David Blunkett, Lord Blunkett, former Home Secretary, former Education Secretary. David, thank you very much for joining us today. You're very welcome. Uh, it's always a pleasure, but uh, since we are talking around the theme of leadership, it would be a remiss of me if we didn't start with the leadership election going on in the Labour Party. Apart from, I'm sure your delight that a certain someone is leaving a post, what are your thoughts on it so far? Well, I think the party membership have got to make a very clear decision.
3: Uh, Are they in in the stands watching or are they on the pitch playing? And if they want to play, then the two candidates that are in for the future are Lisa Nandy and Keir Starmer. I'm personally backing Lisa because I think she's a brave woman with a tremendous amount to give. She's got really good, positive ideas. I like them because they're about building from the community rather than command and control from the centre. They're about a new form of social democracy and socialism rather than trying to replicate a failed past. And she can reach out to people that others can't. So I'm I'm giving her my backing. I think Keir Starmer is very professional, mm. very able, and presents extremely well. And I, I hope that one of those two... Uh, actually, come through in the election on the 4th
2: of April. Uh, there has been a lot of criticism, especially from uh, four uh, candidates a little further left um, than them, who've criticised even the last Labour uh, uh, government as being part of 40 years of Thatcherism.
3: Yes, I think it's really unfortunate, uh, particularly when new MPs come in having seen large swathes of their colleagues lose their seat. Uh, to roll up the 13 years of Labour government with everything that I'm so proud of. I mean, we we were not neoliberals or anything like it. We were able, in the first 10 years certainly, uh, which I played a part in, to be able to turn the economy around, to invest in health and education, to be able to transform people's aspirations and their hopes for the, the future. And that included ensuring people got the minimum wage, which we never had before, Sure start to nurture youngsters from the most moment they were born. Transformation in the quality of education. And all these things actually add up to helping people to improve and change their lives for the better. And anyone who thinks that's not good and that isn't a government to be proud of needs to answer the question, what chivalent is it that you would want that would actually have done more to change those lives? I can think of two or three myself in terms mm. of... Uh, dramatically taking on uh, inequality, although half a million children were taken out of poverty in those years. I can think of being even tougher on crime, even though I was dubbed as one of the tougher Home Secretaries because the people that I cared about most were on the whole, not exclusively, but mainly the victims of crime. I can think about taking on the very, very rapidly growing transnational power of the big tech companies, which we still need to work through in terms of how we do that from a a single nation just off the coast of Europe, and how we work internationally without getting caught up in wars we don't want to be involved in. But how, how are we international in a way that ensures that we play our part in making a better life for humanity as a whole, rather than disengaging and becoming alien from the rest of the world? Those are big questions for the social democratic left, particularly with artificial intelligence and robotics changing the world of work forever, I think, in the next 20 years. Uh, An ageing population. Labour got 18% of the over 65 vote in the general election. Just 18%. It's staggeringly... It's extraordinary. ...staggeringly bad. Um, And And climate change, which we all know is going to be either a... Big gain or a terrific political trauma. We've got to take people with
2: us. No matter uh, which political party it is, the changes that will occur in this decade especially will determine their future ideologies, certainly. And spe- speaking of your time uh, as home section in government, um, you worked with so many different individuals of all political stripes and none at all. Is there someone, and on the theme of leadership, that stands out to you that embodies some of those qualities you described earlier? Yes, I mean,
3: I, it's on the theme of bottom up it was some of the most inspiring uh, head teachers and classroom teachers who in really really difficult circumstances were actually transforming the life chances of children by inspiring those children to want to learn to if you like lighting a candle inside them uh, giving them a, a a window on the world which created an inquiring mind and an understanding that the world was their oyster, that they could do things with support. My, my philosophy has always been mutuality and reciprocity. We, we need mutuality to support each other. We need reciprocity in terms of understanding that we don't just take, we, we give a lot as well. And I suppose that really comes down to uh, if you're prepared to do something for yourself, we're prepared to do something to help you. And that's fundamentally in education, but it is in all sorts of walks of life as well. So... You can have innovation, you can have entrepreneurship and creativity in in business, you can have the way in which people turn things around for themselves. Small businesses have done that. The Contribution to uh, new ways of doing things, of thinking differently about our economy. Th- those are all grit to the mill. Those are the things we need to do. And we can do them together. It's not that you're on the side of the devil if you're an entrepreneur or you're on the side of the angels if you work in public services. We, we are mm. dependent on each other.
2: Oh, you can't have one without the other. Yes. Um, and I think to coin a term, um, uh, uh, extraordinary, ordinary people, and especially when it comes to, given your answer, David, to uh, teachers, to carers, people that honestly don't get the recognition they deserve on a day-to-day basis. And without them... Half of society wouldn't function
3: completely. I call it civil society, which functions even when government isn't
2: functioning. It's what
3: it's the glue that holds things together. It's people working and living and having their being together and recognizing that they are dependent on each other. I've obviously met incredibly inspiring leaders in a different vein. I was very fortunate to have met Nelson Mandela three times, uh, I met Bill Clinton a number of times, both of whom in very, very different ways, were inspiring leaders. I've met people in leadership positions who couldn't take a decision to save their lives. Uh, Tony Blair famously said in his conference speech the year before he stood down as prime minister, and I, I knew exactly what he meant, he said the worst ministers are those who won't take decisions, and anyone in a leadership role needs to A, know why they're there, what they intend to do with the authority that goes with being a leader and a manager, and then how to draw people in as a team to be able to implement it so that it's a team approach. It's not someone out on a white charger. It's someone who can mobilise, motivate, provide incentives for people to feel that they're part of the solution as well. Uh,
2: And I think whether it's politics, whether it's business, whether it's sport, it's exactly those qualities that you need to succeed in any of them. Yes, it is. And
3: if people recognise that, and they have a clear idea themselves. They, they have and build, because you can't build, leadership qualities. They know how to manage their own time and their own emotions because we all, are, from time to time, feel like really losing our temper. And I don't pretend for a minute over the years <laughs> that, that I haven't. How, how to control your own feelings and emotion and how to bring the best out in other people's. How, how you work out that people who are really good don't threaten you, they compliment you. People who have complimentary skills to you are really valuable. And I suppose the ability to listen, not just for its own sake, Mm -hmm. but to listen because you are conglomerating, I suppose you would call it plagiarizing thoughts, ideas, ways forward from everyone around you. I often think that... um, Football managers wouldn't do too bad a job if they actually talked to the fans after the game.
2: Well, everyone knows, uh, David, you know, you're a big Sheffield Wednesday fan. It I know. Can't be easy having to hear the it, praise of Chris Wilder and Sheffield United every week after no, week. No,
3: it isn't, although it's damn good for Sheffield. So I'm being a bit magnanimous at the moment That's very about good you. Sheffield United in the Premier League because it, it, it does change, it lifts the image of the. City internationally if you're not just because it's Sheffield United but because if you're playing Liverpool uh, and you're playing Man City then that's a global audience you're immediately beamed across the world so that's good I I could cry sometimes we can we can beat uh, Brighton Premier League side in the FA Cup at Brighton we can beat Leeds at Leeds I was there when we beat them 2-0 in January, And then you can lose 5-0 at <laughs> home to Blackburn and half the fans were out of the ground by by half-time. What, what would
2: a manager Blanket say in this situation? I,
3: I would have asked myself a very simple question. What went wrong with motivating those players so that when they came out on the field, they walked instead of ran? They didn't have any of the passion they'd had the week before at Leeds. They showed no drive an incentive to take hold of the game what what went wrong with the same players who'd played very well the week previously and if you could answer that question and uh, there may have something may have happened who knows something during the morning before the game started something may have gone sour you get the answer to that question and you then start to
2: ensure that we never, never do this again. Yeah, well, I'm a Chelsea fan, so I'm beginning to feel your pain at the minute. Um, <laughs> but I would like to pick up on another point you just made, actually, David, about choosing a strong team, people that complement you. A lot of criticism that uh, Theresa May got as prime minister was that she tended not to pick, perhaps, the more ambitious, the more uh, 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 people, uh, uh, ministers that might well challenge her One of Boris Johnson's, for all his faults, uh, he has been said in the past, he's a man that picks people that are good at their briefs. Do you agree with that? Well, I'll
3: reserve judgment on that until I see the outcome of the reshuffle, which, as we record this podcast, has not yet happened. Mm. And I imagine, I, I would be very surprised if he didn't have quite a brutal reshuffle, not just to get people in who he likes, but people who are going to be really sparky and able and clear at doing the job because you can have all the best ideas in the world. You can pronounce on what you're going to do, but if you haven't got leaders in those departments prepared to do it, if they're just toadies, by the way, and there is a tendency, a new Mm -hmm. prime minister, large majority, got to be very careful that you don't pick people because you're receiving the echo of your own voice uh, when you're speaking to them, but get able people in. I, I, I won't comment on some of the less able, but there are <laughs> clearly in the Cabinet, as I speak at the moment, people who are really just not up to it. I mean, incidentally, anyone who won't be cross-examined by decent journalists on the BBC, changed their minds recently about mm-hmm. Sky, <clears throat> isn't worth their salt. If, but Part of being cross-questioned is to demonstrate to yourself that you've got a grasp of your brief... That you believe in it, and that you can persuade people of it, and if you can't do that under real cross examination rather than sitting on the sofa for a, mm-hmm. a, a, an easy morning television program, get out of the business. You know, don't don't w- do without it without a
2: doubt. Yeah, uh, that's and also I should add that is how these uh, all stripes earn that respect in the first place. But there is a question,
3: isn't and there? And try and answer the questions. That's, that's what I always <laughs> tried to answer the or questions. Or be
2: very good at avoiding them, either way. Um. Oh,
3: well, the, the way of avoiding them is to take it head on and say, I'm, I'm not going to answer that question, explain why.
2: Quite. Uh, <laughs> the, um, and I think that one of the great things about uh, the Leeds Castle especially is that um, it takes and talks to people... But again, from all different backgrounds, leading something very different, whether it's a charity, whether it's a business, whether it's in politics. There comes points, though, and David, you must have experienced this, whether as leading Sheffield City Council or as Home Secretary, when people are looking at you for leadership, where do you get your strength from?
3: I think there's something inside all of us. There's a tenacity, there's a an ambition, there's a desire to get things done, to make a difference inside you, whether you're in public service, the charities or you're driving a business that actually says this is why I get up in the morning so you've got to have something internal to yourself the The second is the satisfaction you get back because you do from seeing things change for the better You you can take pride without being egotistical there's nothing wrong with being proud of what you do and to want to do it even better and that's why you need both Sharp minds around you, in my case, it was special advisors as, as well as ministers, I pretty well picked my ministers sometimes Tony asked me to take people who I was a little bit iffy about, and we had to meld people into the team. I was able to pick all my own special advisors, and that really did make a difference mm. but in in the end you 've got to like what you're doing i mean the the, the people who are un, unhappy in their skin they they it's very difficult to perform if you're in the wrong business or in the wrong department of a business or if you're really hating teaching or in politics, you, you're you just in the wrong department. I was very lucky because education and employment were my first loves in terms of what I wanted to do and I got the job for four years. I'd then come to the conclusion that there were really big challenges for us it turned out even bigger than I expected with the attack on the World Trade Center mm. three months after I became Home Secretary. But the big challenges of security, of reducing crime, of dealing with the development of positive citizenship, which also I had a read over in terms of immigration, the kind of things that change people's lives either for the better or the worse. And you don't get everything right. That's the other thing you've got to recognize, which is why... Being part of a broader team, being able to take criticism but not always accept it <laughs> as a, because otherwise you blow with the wind that that that's the the measure and I think if we can share those traits, those experiences, those different elements through the leadership council, if we can get people from very, very different leadership managerial roles and delivery roles. To actually be able to share that experience, everyone will gain something from it because that dialogue will inform. It will avoid people reinventing the wheel. It will take people a lot further than the the niche
2: for good or ill. The niche that they're in at the moment, um, David. The very in uh, a couple of minutes we have left, um, I will be mean and put you on the spot and ask you for predictions, perhaps in three things. What will happen in the Labour leadership contest? How will the next few months go for the government after Brexit, uh, well, after we leave the European Union on the 31st of January, and where will Sheffield Wednesday finish in the league? Lord above. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure which
3: is the most difficult of those <laughs> questions. I, I've already indicated where my support is for the, the Labour leadership. If we take it at the end of January 2020... Keir Starmer has clearly got a got off to a very very um strong start. I think however it will be very much down to who can reach those parts of the Labour Party membership that came in on the back of Jeremy Corbyn's election in 2015 to that post who can be persuaded that what they want to see and the change the big changes they'd like to enact can only be brought about in any form if we win, and we win back the people. The tragic loss of people on our side uh, mm. in December two thousand nineteen, uh, and that that's got to be Lisa Nandi or Kier. On on the, um, the the next few months, I think that the government will probably do quite well. I I I think that. There are real dangers ahead in just having 11 months to negotiate trade deals, especially with bellicose pronouncements about we're not going to have alignment, as though alignment in itself is a bad thing when some of it will be very good. So I think there are dangers, but I think there's quite a bit of momentum going with the government at the moment, and that will be reflected in relationships, in doing deals in Europe and facing outwards to the rest of the world. Sheffield Wednesday, God help me. I mean, you know, how is it that two of the things that are most important to me, other than my family and loved ones, is football and and politics? I think Sheffield Wednesday will be hard-pressed now to get into the playoffs. If we do, I think we could pull it off. But I am really reluctant.
2: And I think on that prediction, your reputation
0: will be judged. Lord Blunkett, thank you very much for joining us today. God bless you, Jonathan.